It's the first Monday of the month, and we are responding to your questions with ideas, resources, and new perspective. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 235. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And on many of these shows, we welcome a guest or talk about a recent book or leadership model that has come out. And once a month, we like to turn the tables around and talk with our audience uh, in detail. And joining me as always is my best friend in life and old shoe, Bonnie Stahoviak. Now's where people are going to think you're being rude and calling me old. (laughs) Probably (laughs) true. That's a nickname from a high school teacher of mine who said that love is like an old shoe. It's not like a high heel where it looks really good at first and after a while it gets really particularly uncomfortable, but it's just that old comfortable shoe. So he's not calling me old, even though I am six years older than him. So we have a whole bunch of questions that have come in, and we also thought we'd maybe spend a little bit of time talking about just some general resources as well. And uh, the first question Bonnie's going to tackle here. Go ahead, Bonnie. It's a question from Beth. She writes, I have arthritis. It's not severe, but after a wrist surgery, there are things I can't do. I had a team of two or three people, and after the surgery, I could perceive that my colleagues felt that workload was my workload was not equal towards the junior consultants and me. After many conflicts with the junior consultants, I decided to quit the job because I didn't get the support of the office leader and people in the office perceived I was taking advantage of my health situation. I have a new job and wouldn't like this problem to ever repeat itself. How can I assume leadership when I have this situation in my hands? How can I learn to delegate work without making people think that I'm overloading them? How can I have a strong position when I have health issues that don't allow me to do some of the work? I feel like there's so much we can say about <clears throat> this question. So thank you, Beth, for uh, submitting it. And I, I think that this speaks to a whole lot of different different things when I think about leadership and just how to frame one's career. Uh, first and foremost, I think we should mention, I don't know what country Beth's in, but here in the States, we do have laws and protections around reasonable accommodation for folks who have disabilities, or if there's something that prevents you from a disability standpoint or health standpoint from performing some aspect of the job that that in most situations, employers are required to make some kind of reasonable accommodation for that. So I, we're not going to get into the HR and the legalities of all that, but that's just something for people to be aware of, especially those in the States, if you're not already aware of that. I'm really curious about approaching this question, Bonnie, for more of a, when I think about career strategy and just expectation setting, I think there's certainly, when I think about this, I think there's definitely a case to be made for the importance of setting good expectations with an employer and with a team of people who you're working with of what kinds of things that you're capable of doing and also what are some of the just physical realities that you're not able to do because of a certain condition or a disease or whatever else that that may be relevant. And the other way that I'm I'm even more brought to thinking about this question, Bonnie, is, is really, and I think... 
I think one of your past colleagues had originally taught this lesson to me is that you tell the story of your career. You tell the story of how people think about you and how you're branded. And so, Beth, while I would certainly encourage you to set expectations and particularly going into a new role of what are some things that may be limitations for you that you're not able to do, I'm not sure I would want for you to always brand yourself around the things you can't do and rather look at it from the standpoint of how do you create the story of what you are uniquely talented and gifted at being able to do? What are the real strengths that you bring to your role, to your industry, and to the extent that you can of aligning those strengths with the things you do very well and are very capable of doing with the position, with your team, with expectation setting, and really focusing on that. And so that way, it doesn't just become a conversation and a discussion about what you can't do, but it becomes just as much, if not more so, the story you tell about what you're uniquely capable of doing and uniquely gifted at doing and becoming a real expert in that and positioning your job and your work and your brand within the organization around doing that. That seems to me of like a really neat way to approach the situation is how can you do that within the context of the role that you have and with the organization that you have. So that's where I'm thinking, Bonnie, what strikes you with this? Well, Beth, I just wanted to comment that you're in a very difficult situation. And while I don't have arthritis, I do have some issues with repetitive stress disorder. And that means that I'm not able to work for long periods of time at a computer without making some pretty significant adjustments. And I also, um, it's necessary for me to go receive neuromuscular therapy once a week. And that neuromuscular therapy comes out of my pocket. It is not something that my employer pays for. And as Dave said, we're not going to get into the legalities or insurance things. But it is, I mean, it's tough when you have something physical that limits you in terms of what you can do with your job. I don't really have a desire to take a job that would involve me sitting at a computer. Just as an example, in my own career, I have had many people say they'd love to have me come work for them doing extensive online learning design, instructional design, that type of thing. Dave and I have had in the past turn down potential clients involving a lot of online learning, just knowing that whether it's a time factor, but also for me, sometimes it's a physical factor that I'm just not able to do as much as some people are. So you are in a complex situation, as Dave said, because you really do have constraints, and yet you don't want them to define you for yourself as well as define you in other people's eyes. And it's really tricky to do that because when we do have physical things going on, arthritis being a perfect example of this, just the severe pain that you might be in and sometimes, and when we are dealing with severe pain that sometimes can show up in our lives. And and even though we wish it wouldn't, that we can't do the kind of work or or sometimes it may just make us perhaps maybe not as pleasant on a given day, just depending on what's going on. So I think Dave's advice is wonderful. I would also just encourage you to really, I mean, all of us would benefit by increased self-awareness so that if it's a day when I am having physical pain instead of me just grumbling to Dave about the dishes or something inconsequential to try to have that self-awareness to go, my body is in pain today. Probably I should let Dave know that that's going on. And yet I don't want that to be the excuse in my life constantly for why I am grumpy. I mean, that, that never works for me. It's like, but just that you'd want the other person to be aware that, that today is just a flare up for you and, and that, that they could be aware. So I think, I think that's 
those are the things I wanted to say is just, I'm sorry that you're in such a difficult situation. It's tough. And to be transparent, to be authentic, and also to be thinking long-term about possible technologies or other solutions that may help you. And that's another part, I think, of the self-awareness. One of the things that comes to mind is, have you explored some of the voice recognition technologies that are out there? It blows my mind how powerful those things are. It isn't just about our spoken word and its ability to translate our spoken word, but we can actually control our computers that way. So is there some type of equipment that you could have that would make it a little bit easier for you to still be able to do the same work? And that's actually what Dave was talking about in terms of reasonable accommodation. A lot of times that comes up as in it's an employer's duty. That's sometimes how we phrase it, but it's actually an interactive process. And I would say, even if you don't have an employer who's great at doing that with you, or you're thinking about other potential avenues down the road to get good at doing that with yourself, what, how could you improve your workload? This is not directly related to what you're talking about, but just, I remember years ago, I worked in an office where a guy worked exactly across from me. <laughs> Just like Dave's sitting here right now. There was a woman who worked for us and it was new in her career doing computer training, but she had been a massage therapist in the past. And she noticed that his monitor was just slightly askew, slightly off where his head just had to be slightly tilted in order to have it be straight on viewing And he was getting all of this pain in his back and neck and shoulders and had no idea that a tiny shift of his monitor pretty much relieved the pain. And of course, then we need to be reminded to get up and not sit there too long and do stretching and things like that. But I'm just wondering if you have have explored any of these avenues of whether what technology might be able to do for you. If there's a, a something on the internet, a yoga type thing to keep the the muscles moving and whatever stretches you might need to do. And hopefully you're not hearing either of us say, okay, if you just do a few of these things, that resolves arthritis. No, we're, we're both very no, no, conscious no, 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 of the no. fact we're, we're just kind of going a different direction of this, of thinking of broadly other folks who are dealing with somewhat related issues that may or not may not be as, as severe as the ones you're dealing with. I don't know. I, what do you, what's your sense, Bonnie? Is it, is my advice helpful on this of like, I, I think there's a place to say, you know, here's what I can't do being mm-hmm. real clear on those. At the same time, like I, I also think that if that's always what's being said and that's only what's being said, then there's the sense that with colleagues and with the team, it's always about what I can't do yeah. versus, you know, here's here's a different here's a way I could contribute more in a different yep. capacity. Absolutely. I think that'd be a really I think that'd be a really interesting way for her to approach it, it to the extent that you can. So let us know, Beth, if if that's helpful and what if anything you do with it. We'd really like to hear how that goes forward with your new role. And congratulations on the new role and good for you for for making a change that you think is going to be uh, helpful to you down the road. And let's, uh, let's take the next question here from Allison, Bonnie. Allison wrote in, and Allison's actually a former student of mine, uh, Bonnie, in a graduate course. She says, I had a question for a friend situation. She's been a medical assistant for over a decade. The last three years, she's been acting in a care coordinator capacity, i.e. non-clinical. Would you be able to provide advice for someone whose job title does not reflect the person's experience and capabilities? She's hoping to move into project management, but no one is willing to interview her because of her title, which implies only clinical experience. She has a graduate degree in healthcare management. So uh, she sounds like she's been doing a lot professionally, but also has the advanced education to be doing more than what she's doing, but it's that title that's holding her back. 
I am a believer that on things like our LinkedIn profile, on things like our resumes, that it is acceptable to have an alternative title that we use that better reflects the kind of work that we did. And then when we actually go to fill out the official application, which is a legal requirement, at least in the States here, would be that that's where we put the proper title and in parentheses showing that the, and, and this would never be to change a title from director to vice president as, as an example, that's not at all what I'm advocating. I've had some students who did, well, I've had students who did paid internships and in the paid internship, it was essentially a job that if it wasn't through an internship relationship would have been just a job. And they, they put on their resume paid internship with such and such a company. And I'm thinking, why are, why are you making so much note of it being an internship versus the role that you held there? Cause it really did look like an, like an actual job and they took on actual responsibilities, that kind of thing in the, at least in the state of California, we have pretty, and there's some federal guidelines that are really strict around internships. So you have to legally, if you're not going to pay someone for internships, you have to legally adhere to something like 14 requirements or something like that. But if you're going to pay someone, it's an internship, but it also sometimes has a job title with it. This is a little bit of a tangent. Sorry about that. But, but that would be one thought that I have is if you could even just change one word of the title and have it better reflect what she did. I don't think you're being dishonest because then when you got further into the conversation, it's not like you're trying to say that you did a completely different job that you never did in a completely different company that you never did. You're just trying to have the descriptor work better for you. And I say this also because by the way, I used to work for a super large, very bureaucratic public institution. And in that case, the titles meant nothing to the outside world. They meant absolutely nothing. They were, they were reflective of a pay grade. They were not reflective of the work being done. So it's a classic thing where you say, if somebody wants to know that your title was MSO two and a half point seven in that particular organization, that would mean something in that particular organization, but it's not going to mean anything outside of it. So sometimes large bureaucratic institutions like that have working titles. So you might be thinking, well, what would the working title be if the one that that I was I had there is not reflective of it? And again, when you filled out the actual application and showed, you know, this is what my exact title was at this company, and this is the person you could call to find out, then that would be where you would explain the difference between the two. Now, of course, it has to be legitimate. It has to be honest. It's not like you're trying to hide something. You're just trying to actually be more transparent about what it is that you did. I'm also going to recommend a really cool TED talk that I saw that I'm going to ask Dave to put in the show notes. And it's just a real, it's actually one of the shorter TED Talks. I think it's about five minutes and it's five questions that you can ask yourself to discover. I believe he phrases it, your life's purpose. And it's one of those things we've all heard before, but it was just, I thought he did it so succinctly and so powerfully that it was worth watching to me, even though it was all things that I'd heard before. But I loved it because he was talking about when you go and you meet someone at a party or something like that, you're networking or whatever. And they say, what do you do? If you answer what you do with your title, there's nowhere near as interesting of a conversation as if you answer what your purpose is. And that creates Mm. more of a sense of intrigue and tell me more about that. And I just really found, I took notes actually while I was watching the video and 
It was inspiring, made me reflect again on my own purpose, and I think it's worth watching. So I would check that out too. Have your friend check that out. And particularly on resumes or LinkedIn profiles, nothing says we have to follow the rules that everything has to be such for formal language. I mean, we can have in there, this is what I do. And for me, so much of what I do in life is I teach. And actually, even deeper than that, I facilitate learning for other people and mm. so they can fulfill their maximum potential. That's what I do. And that's so much more interesting than saying I'm a college professor. That's, I mean, it, that limits the conversation because many people's preconceived notions of what a college professor is has absolutely nothing to do with what I actually do in my day job. And even in the format and, and of night job and sometimes on the weekends. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> well, even in the format of thinking of things through the lens of a resume, there's so many different things you can do with that. I just saw on this morning, there was this resume trending on LinkedIn of someone who had, it was a designer and had designed a comic strip about her life and her professional capacity. Mm -hmm. And it was really brilliantly done. And it had like 6,000 shares on LinkedIn. All these people wanted to hire her. And I just thought that was fabulous that someone had tried to do something a little more creatively. Now that may not work in healthcare management, but there's something that would work. And I think that one of the things I'd also encourage you to do, so the strategy on what you'd say on the resume aside is keep in mind, if an employer is looking at a resume, that's one of the last places they want to be. Their first preference is to hire someone within the organization or to hire someone they already know or someone that's been referred to them by someone they know. And so if you're running into a lot of issues for whatever reason with getting people to look at a resume or what's said on the resume or the job title or whatever, the other strategy and the better strategy for most people as far as growing their careers is building the professional network. Because the resume is really designed just to generate the interview. After you get the interview, the resume becomes far less important in the conversation. Then it becomes much more about <clears throat> what you've done, your experience, how you present yourself, how you interact, the questions you ask, you interviewing them, them interviewing you. And so uh, if the resume is not working and it's not possible or not doable to do some of the things Bonnie was talking about is to spend your time investing in how can you grow your professional network? How can you build stronger relationships within the industry? How do you connect with people who might be influencers in future career opportunities for you? I love the podcast that I did with John Corcoran earlier last year, episode 209, on how to get the greatest benefit out of professional organizations. And John went through a tons of strategies in just in that episode on how you can get involved with a professional organization and start to build relationships across that organization and some really great strategies for doing that, um, then you become someone who's a known quantity who people can build relationships with, reach out to. And then the, what what's on the resume or not becomes less important because people already have a relationship with you. And so if you're willing to look at it a little bit more from the long-term playing the long game, which you know I'm a big fan of anyway, then you can do a lot that really doesn't even, it's not. It's less important what the resume says or doesn't say. So we'll get links to all that we've mentioned here in the notes. So hopefully that's a, a helpful starting point, Allison, for your friend. And please pass along for, for us what's helpful to her and what she does next. Bonnie, it looks like our next question here is from Andrew. What are your suggestions for how to plan out and use presentation software or just lay out and plan a presentation in general in the context of a business presentation more so than from the stage? 
Well, thank you for the question, Andrew. Andrew actually uh, tweeted me uh, this question. And Andrew, there's, oh gosh, so much we could we could say about this. And there's a number of past episodes where we've, we've talked about presentation skills, so I'll link to them in the notes. Um, first of all, what not to do would not to be to open up a PowerPoint file and start building PowerPoint slides to start presentation planning. I think that's what many people do in putting together a presentation. And while PowerPoint or whatever other visual software you use may be very helpful in supporting your message, I think ultimately that's not the place to start. The place to start is, for me, who's the audience and what's the objective? So if the audience is your your team or staff meeting, that's a very different audience than if you're presenting to an executive leadership team. That's a very different audience than if you're presenting to the customer. So thinking through in detail first, who is the audience? What do they want? What are their concerns? What are they likely thinking about? What are they excited about? What are they worried about? Um, What are the goals they have for their team or their organization? And then what's your objective coming in there? Because ultimately, if you're giving a presentation, you're there for them more so than you are for you is what do you want them to be able to walk out of the room doing differently? And those of you who have listened to the show for a while know that's one of my favorite questions to ask an audience or potential audience is what, you know, when doing a a workshop or something like that is what do you want people walking out of the room doing differently? And so I certainly refer you back to episode 38, which was a while ago. And the title of that episode was, you don't have to be a professional speaker to build a good presentation. And there's a couple of key elements that I think that if you bring into your thinking on presentations, you can, that'll really help you. And I often like to put a mind map on paper or digitally. So I'll put the Uh, What's the objective of this presentation right in the center? And then I'll do some thinking around who's the audience, what are some of the things they're likely thinking about, wondering about. And then I think from a structural standpoint, there's a couple of key elements that you want to bring into your presentation. Certainly having a clear opening and getting the audience involved in some way is key. Um, From a content standpoint, evidence, evidence, evidence is so important. So it's not enough for you you, Andrew, to say, okay, I think we should do this, or here's what I think the numbers are, or here's my opinion on this. You may include that, but it should be backed up by who else other than you says that we should take this next step on this project, or who else other than you says that this is a good idea. So citing evidence and providing support for the conclusions you're bringing is key. And I love using storytelling and examples as a way to bring that out. Um, I think that that really helps connect with an audience and appeals to the human emotions that we all have as far as how we connect with a story and the message that a story can tell. We've had a couple of recent episodes on storytelling, so I'll put that in the episode uh, or in the show notes here as well. And then finally, call to action. What do you want people to do? So in a business context presentation, usually there is something that's a call to action. Either it is a next step or here's a recommendation or here's uh, here's the better way we should be doing this process or procedure. So, or it's to make the sale if it's to a customer and it's a sales situation. So, what do you want people doing? And then, of course, some sort of strong closing around that. So, I think those are some key elements. Bonnie, you do a lot of thinking through this, even on a daily basis, because you're presenting constantly as a as a professor to all kinds of different audiences, students mostly, but a lot of other audiences too. What are some of the things you think about on the front end as far as putting together a message? One of the things I think is really fun to take advantage of is the fact that human beings, we tend to like to think of ourselves as objective people. 
we are not actually really too terribly objective. And if you go in and do any study around psychology or consumer behavior or that kind of stuff, we actually quickly discover that we're not. And the closest way we can stop ourselves from that temptation is to realize that we are so susceptible to it. (laughs) So I like to do where I build something around data. And of course, infographics are a wonderful way to do that. If people listening have not heard of what an infographic is, you've probably seen them on the internet and just not realized that that's what you were looking at. But they tend to, they can look a lot of different ways, but they tend to be pretty tall and they're designed to get your eyeballs caught up in the data that they're presenting and keep your eyeballs as you scroll down the screen. And they're typically longer than a screen would be to keep you scrolling and scrolling. And they're actually a really big advertising marketing vehicle that many organizations use. So I could think about an example in the world that I am in where you have how many college students entered college in 2016 and what were the different majors and how many people graduated, what was the average income, all this data that would be there. And then it gets to the bottom and who sponsored that infographic was a a public or private college loan company. Just just to give you a single example of that. So you could take advantage of the fact that if you were to hand a printed infographic out to people in a meeting, you would instantly have it appear as if this person has done their homework. They're going to present to us objective data. They've done the research, they've looked at different stakeholders, and there are so many great tools out there to create infographics. One of the favorite ones of mine is called Pictograph. And Pictograph has so many different templates out there. You just find a template that you like and then plug in your data. It's relatively easy to use. I teach a couple of times a year in a doctoral program, a class on technology and leadership for educators. And as sad as I am to say this, most of them, at least half of them in a class will be pretty technologically adverse. They're not too happy about having to take this horrible class. (laughs) And they even can use the tool right out of the gate and... And that actually even captures their imagination. So while they do, I mean, all of us, when we're learning something new, might cause some friction learning it, but they're so intrigued by the possibilities they power through and they're able to come up with some pretty spectacular results. Pictograph is what that's called? Is that a service or how does that? It's a uh, web-based service that creates infographics, among other things. They also own PictoChart a few different similar services. I think they may all point to the same thing. But when I was teaching the last class... What we discovered together was not only can you build an infographic on their service, but you're also building essentially a slideshow. So if you think about an infographic, I mentioned that they're longer than they are wide. So the first piece that you're looking at might be problems that we've encountered, potential solutions we've looked at, different data we've collected, the options we're considering, pros and cons, that kind of thing as you're coming down the thing, that it actually creates a different slide for each section of data on your infographic. Mm, and we, cool. I mean, we had no, absolutely no idea. And then when we started realizing what it was doing, you could pull it up on a presentation screen and have it work just like slides. And the reason I bring that up is as a presenter, we like to think of ourselves as objective But boy, tell a powerful story and you've captured the hearts and the imaginations of people. So in your infographic, if you were to have a quote from a customer, 
And then tell the story of that customer or tell the story of why this is so urgent. Or if you were to have in the infographic, just some, some type of a heading of some of the more qualitative data, then you can really speak to hearts and minds and begin to truly influence. And I think also just being cognizant of how refreshing it would be for business leaders to not have somebody read off of a PowerPoint to them, stuff that they could have done on their own, but actually to make the most use of that time. And part of that can be, oh, here's the data. And perhaps even sending the infographic out in advance and saying, we're going to be talking about this in the meeting, but I wanted you to get a little preview of it in advance. As a great compliment to one of the episodes I was talking, I was thinking about when we were talking earlier, Bonnie, was David Hutchins, who was on a few weeks ago and just practical storytelling and making it not awkward. And this, the visual pieces here, I'm just looking at pictograph right now, really a powerful way to supplement that kind of storytelling and just looks so professional and it's, it's really inexpensive. So, I mean, it's the kind of thing, Andrew, that if you're looking for a way to bring in some of the visual pieces is to do that, to do that successfully. And that said, that's always, the visual things are always secondary to the message. So figuring out what's the message first, what's the call to action, bringing in the evidence and then bringing the PowerPoint, the visuals, all those things come in later. That's the part that builds the credibility for the things that you are already wanting to bring in the presentation. So hope that helps you as far as a few ideas. We'll put all the links to that here in the show notes. And speaking of a few links, I thought it might be fun, Bonnie, just to, for us to spend a, a minute or two just talking about some things we're working on, what we're reading, what we're focused on as far as our own professional development for the year. And I thought it might be fun to mention some of the things we've read recently, uh, just for folks who are looking for other things, maybe related to what we talked about or not. What's on your bookshelf right now or your professional development or things you're doing as far as moving forward? Right now, what's on my bookshelf is a New York Times bestseller called The Power of Habit. I am not all the way through it, but I can already tell you it's going to be on my top recommendation. So I'm not, it's just had a great promise in the beginning and has delivered for at least halfway through. And I've just been captivated. It reminds me a little bit of the style of writing of Atul Gawande in his book, The Checklist Manifesto, where somebody coming in might be thinking, how could a checklist be interesting? And then as soon as you start reading the first sentence, you realize, oh my gosh, because they can be made interesting by a great writer and a great researcher and an expert in their field. And that is definitely what this author has done. And Dave, maybe you can look up the author's name because it's not coming to me because what captured my attention was the title of their book, not the person's name. And right along with that, I, I have not solidified yet what my key learning is from the book. I mean, there's a lot, every page has great information and great stories, examples of people in their personal lives that have overcome tremendous challenges and transformed their entire lives in really unlikely scenarios. And then also companies that have done it. It's looked at company culture and it's got, it's got all different kinds of stories, also sports teams. And Dave, you know how uninterested I am in anything having to do with sports. And I actually found the stories that he told about a football coach that instilled certain habits in his players fascinating. Hmm. And that, and it's a pretty high bar for me to find something related to sports. That's that invigorating and interesting. So it's just a great book. And related to that, I have been using an app lately 
that solved a unique challenge. You, If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you probably have a pretty good handle that Dave and I are pretty geeky and we've got our iPhones and we've got OmniFocus. We've got all these task management tools and calendars. We have, we have the calendar for the children, the calendar for each of us, and then we've got full day. I mean, all, And all color coded. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have to be. But one of the things that would happen is I might have something pop up on my calendar or even on my OmniFocus task, OmniFocus task list that said, this needs to happen right now. Something as simple as water the plants or as complex as call so-and-so regarding the final negotiations. And then if I didn't do it right then, I'd forget about it. And yeah, in your calendar, you can set up things that say, you know, I want a reminder 15 minutes before it starts and then... 10 minutes and then five. I mean, you can do that to an extent. I don't remember on the Mac what the limitation is. I think maybe we could have three of those or four of those or something like that. It isn't unlimited, but it's also before whatever it is starts. And what I like about what the Do app does is it tackles that problem with finesse. And it basically says, I need to do something at a particular time or at least within a window of that particular time and I want to be bugged about it. They've gone to such great lengths for, on their user interface to make it super simple to enter whatever that thing is that you'd like to be reminded about, whatever time you'd like to be reminded about it, super simple to set it up. And then how often would you like to be reminded? And and I it's funny because I've been using the example as I've shared with people about this product of taking the trash out and it's kind of really bad because I think since we moved here three years ago, I've perhaps taken the trash out twice maybe three times so it's probably sounds about right (laughs) probably not the best example i was on antibiotics recently though and of course with antibiotics i need to take them and you have to take them with food and then so i wanted to be bugged and in that case i wanted to be bugged every five minutes but if it was you taking out the trash you might only want to be bugged how often would you want to be bugged if it was taking the trash out i don't know once an hour on a thursday night maybe yeah something like that so you set up here's what it is Here's how often I want to be reminded. And then there's other things you could do. Like if it was a repeating one for the antibiotics, I said it's for every, I think it was for every three days, once in the morning, once at night, and just how simple it is to set up. And then I've got it on my watch. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my Mac. I mean, you pretty much can't miss me. And it's just really, it works super, super well. I'm going to check that out because I, there's definitely things that I, if I don't do right away. I want to be continually reminded of as opposed to just hitting snooze or whatever and never coming back. One of the things I love about it too is if you read the book, Getting Things Done, David Allen talks about that our brains weren't designed as a hard drive, you know, for just storing things. And then if we can free our mind up and have a system that we trust, we can tap into our creative potential. And I really like that idea. I find myself to be such a less stressed person to be able to really get the most out of every day when I have that trusted system to you. So I really enjoy setting things like that up and just make my life a little easier. I think the quote from David Allen is your mind is for creating ideas, not for storing them. So that was the quote I would have quoted if I had actually remembered it. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that when he was on the show, it's a, but it's a really powerful concept. I think about that a lot too, of like what things can I offload to a hard drive or computer processor that I don't necessarily need to keep in my brain. By the way, the author was Charles Duhigg, who you were, um, speaking about earlier for the power of habit. Okay. Uh, it just looks like such a powerful read. And I think I mentioned that in a recent coaching guide too. And as far as just increasing my own business acumen, there's two books that I've read in the last six months that have been really helpful to me in furthering 
my understanding of just some of the things that are going on business-wise from a marketing business growth standpoint. And actually, both of these books, in some ways, are have influenced some of the things that I've done with Coaching for Leaders, the platform, in the last six months to a year. Uh, one of the books is called The Automatic Customer by John Warlow. And the best way I could describe this book is it really looks at the new subscription economy that we've all become a little bit more accustomed to, but how businesses are really approaching that from a strategy standpoint. And one of the best examples, most popular examples I can cite that many people will be familiar with is things like Amazon Prime that many of us, including us, have subscribed to Amazon Prime. You pay an annual fee and then a whole bunch of things come along with that as far as benefits. And a lot of businesses are starting to move, if not exclusively, offering the option for subscription models as far as their services and products. And this is becoming a very popular way, not only for businesses, but also for consumers to approach things. And and I do hear criticisms from people who say, well, I don't like you know being charged regularly for things. I just want to pay for something once. Um, and even if you're that kind of a person, and, and I can certainly relate to that too, it's important to know that the world is definitely changing on this as far as how a lot of people are approaching business strategy. And this book is a really helpful read on that. It, it frames all the different ways that businesses are doing this. And if for nothing else, it's really helpful if you're a person who's in business to know what's going on and how businesses are approaching that. And then another book that I really like as well uh, that goes is related is a book called Utility by Jay Baer, B-A-E-R is how to spell his last name. And it's Utility, Y-O-U-T-I-L-I-T-Y. And I would call this a marketing book, but I think it's broader than just a marketing book in the sense that it's a book that teaches you um, from a marketing strategy of rather advertising, advertising, advertising of how to really give your customers and potential customers value and to really help people and to provide a resource that's in many cases free and valuable for people as a way for them to engage with you and then potentially to do business with your organization or to build a stronger relationship with your organization. And he articulates, I think, beautifully the strategy for how businesses can do that how they can grow a following with that and just walks through some great examples and some strategies for that. And I know both of these books have been on the radar screens of some of our mastermind members on how they can take their businesses to the next level in thinking about how to add in a subscription component to their business or of how they may just add in utility of how they're helping people in order to attract more business. And so those those are two that are on my plate and thinking uh, for this year and have been really helpful to me. Thanks again, Bonnie. And also a thank you to Andrew, who puts together the notes and does the post-production on all our episodes and has put together the notes for today's episode two. And in particular, these Q&A shows are very helpful to go and track down all those links of everything we've mentioned uh, because they'll all be up there. So go to coachingforleaders.com slash 235 in order to get access to that. And that's also the place to add on any additions or comments, or maybe even uh, you're thinking differently than what Bonnie or I had mentioned on some of these questions, or maybe even disagree with us, please join the conversation. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash 235 is the best way to do that. Or if you get the weekly leadership guide, just wait for it in your inbox on Wednesday. And that always has a link to the show notes each week with the quotes and resources we mention in every show. And also, of course, always the information in the leadership guide. And that comes on Wednesdays and has my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, books, 
resources, I think, that'll help you between the shows to get the most value, not only out of these shows and the information I put online, but uh, more importantly, what's going on out there in the rest of the world as far as leadership development and stories and links that I think will be helpful to you. And if you listen while you're on the go like I do, it's a good way to follow up on the show notes too. So what you'll want to do is just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That'll get you access to the weekly leadership guide. And when you do that the first time, you'll also get a copy of my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries for me on the value of each of those books. And also a video, a nine minute video that goes over those books, why I think they'd be helpful to you. So the reader's guide, the video comes with it, but most importantly, you start getting the weekly leadership guide each Wednesday. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe is the best way to do that. And those of you who've been listening to the show for a while may remember that there was a period of time where I was doing a member spotlight at the end of each show. And I've just dropped the ball on doing that recently. And I'm starting to send out some invitations to folks who are joining the leadership guides here in the last few weeks to submit for that if you'd like to be featured as a member spotlight at the end of the show. and But you don't need to wait for my email if you're interested in finding out more about that and possibly being featured at the end of a Coaching for Leaders episode. It is a great way for all of us to learn about who is out there listening and part of the Coaching for Leaders community. You can just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash spotlight, and that will give you all the information you need to be a part of the conversation and the show potentially. And so if that sounds like something that may be of interest to you, take a moment again to go over to coachingforleaders.com slash spotlight, and you'll see a framework for what that sounds like and also what you can do to be a part of it. And also coming up in the next couple of weeks here, I'm not sure the exact date, but if you are getting the leadership guide, You'll also be getting information about some upcoming opportunities in the Coaching for Leaders Mastermind. You've heard me talk about it a bit on episodes in the last few months. There are two inaugural groups in place already and more to come. So stay tuned for that. Again, the best way to get access to all that, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I hope you have a fabulous week and I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.